Activate defenses. Activate defenses. Commence countdown. Ten minutes and counting. Nine minutes and counting. Eight minutes and counting. Seven minutes and counting. Six minutes and counting. Five minutes and counting. Four minutes and counting. Three minutes and counting. Two minutes and counting. One minute and counting. Forty seconds and counting. Hello, everybody. Welcome back, David Tritsky, for the Bond experience. Jeez, I just realized I do not look like James Bond. I look like Mrs. Bell. Yeah, I'm going to have to lose these snow goggles. Um, I, I couldn't do the whole thing in these anyway. First of all, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we always test this out, but can everybody hear me okay? And where are you hailing from? Um, certainly, I don't think anybody's hailing from his glory. You might be. You might be. And by the way, that that hint, that opening with the goggles, the mention of Piz Gloria means only one thing. We are here talking about the novel on Her Majesty's Secret Service for the Bond Book Club. Okay, let's let's see if we can get some sound effects going. Yes, the ice. I hope you all have a libation. It's been a little bit of a bond week. I don't know if anybody noticed. A um, couple of announcements, a million announcements. I, I was telling people, um, I don't know if I want to do a happy hour tonight or if I want to take a nap, but maybe I'll take a nap afterwards. But in the meantime, we are going to step away from the trailers step away from uh, uh, NPL uh, pants and Bollinger ads and all the other ads out there, the DHLs, et cetera. We're gonna put those away just, just for an hour and a half or so. And we're gonna be talking about an Ian Fleming work. Remember what it's all based on. And um, what is everybody drinking, first of all? Let me tell you what I am drinking tonight. I have a beautiful amber color, right? Um, so do you remember when Bon meets uh, Draco? to discuss the whole commando job on Piz Gloria. Um, and I'm gonna read the quote, cause I love this quote. This is one of the best lifestyle books. Uh, he poured himself a stiff Jack Daniels sour mash bourbon on the rocks and added some water. So this is Jack Daniels sour mash. It's the Jack Daniels legacy brand, which has the sour mash in it. Sour mash is um, a little bit that's left over from the previous batch. It's almost like when you make bread but with bourbon and they leave it in there for a legacy. I've got some nice, hear that? Oh, look at that, some nice ice. And I have a little splash of water because I mostly wanted Jack Daniels, I'm not gonna lie. Hmm. So very dirty martini, let's see what we got. Oh, Chris Robinson, hold on a second. Got some interesting ones, Justin Bailey, who by the way, Lost a ton of weight. Orange gin and lemonade tonight. That's amazing. Jack, you're going a little strong with the Sprite. I want you to ease up a little bit. Uh, a very Bondian Coors Light. Never never saw that in the movie, but if you say so, I know it's better than Rolling Rock. Jack and Coke. Well, there you go. That's very Bondish. Uh, we've got some red wine, but did you get the fish? 
I mean, that's that's what I need to know. Anyway, let's step out, let's step back because we're here to talk about the book, but you can see what we're doing here. We want you to join in the conversation because we're gonna pull you into the conversation. Now, by the way, the reason I'm doing this also, I don't know if you knew this about Fleming, he actually preferred bourbon to scotch and he had a notion, kid you not, that it was somehow better for his heart and it actually neutralized the nicotine in his cigarettes. And considering how young he died, I don't think that theory's right. Hmm. So the CDC is not going to uh, put that out as a thing to do. So let's step back for a moment. The date is April 1st, 1963. You got the picture in your head? Right. It's not the 50s anymore. Um, initial and secondary print runs of Honor Majesty's Secret Service literally sells out. And 60,000 books sold I think it was in the first month or something like that. This, this is a popular book, but we're gonna take a step back today because it's very popular in the Bond community. We're gonna test the theory though. We wanna find out why is it so popular? Is it popular? Does it deserve to be popular? These are some of the questions we're going to ask. Um, and if you imagine, uh, when I was in Jamaica, they tell the story of when Ian Fleming was writing this particular book, he, had a little unique experience to the other books because literally down the beach, Dr. No was filming and he was able to go and visit and watch it, meet the new Bond. So he's writing this book while literally at the same time, Dr. No is being filmed. Could it have had an influence on the outcome of this book? We're gonna explore all of that. All right, but we're not gonna explore this alone. That would be lonely for me to talk for like an hour and a half, even to all of you good people. So we're gonna bring some people in to do it, some really varied people from all around the world. This is global. So welcome to the Bond Book Club, everyone. Alex Lamas, Alex, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm actually extremely honored for being a guest here and uh, very excited. To, we, uh, we are the honored ones. Book. And by the way, for the occasion, you went out and, and got a uh, a pink version of my chair. <laughs> You've inspired me so many ways. You don't know. <laughs> Even the shirt I'm wearing, um, you know, half of my wardrobe is because of you. I, I've got a lot of... I've got a lot of wives that have a dartboard with my face on it and, and an empty <laughs> wallet next to it. So I know you're paying. Oh, no. My wife is a fan. Oh, no she, kidding. Because, yeah, because prior I was dressing like an older version of The Clash. So this is really a step up. Wow, you got the hip glasses. Yeah. You look almost have like a Jeff Goldblum vibe. These are the um, Curry Paxton. Also, kind of from you, but it's actually the ones uh, Michael Caine wore in the Harry Palmer. Very uh, nice. Thing. By the way, yeah. somebody's saying in here, uh, some, some strange guy named Roland, a genuine Kung Fu master, such an incredible panelist. Talk to us, Kung Fu, sir. Mm -hmm. Been studying it for since 1996. Prior, I did karate, judo, taekwondo, fencing. I was on the college fencing team. I've always done some sort of combat sports in my life. And then when I found the master that was that was meant for me, I stuck with him and pretty much became obsessed with it for most of my life. So. That's amazing. Yeah. And so you must read these Bond books and especially the combat aspect. And you really, it, it probably hits deeper notes than other people. 
Uh, in some ways, definitely. And also the films, especially because I look at them carefully for the choreography and whatnot. Choreography in this film, extremely good. Yeah, choreography in some of the previous ones. <laughs> the man with the golden gun. Yeah. I, I, I have a little warm spot in my heart for that film, mostly because there is Kung Fu in it. It's the only one with Kung Fu in it. Well, there you go. Well, let's, let's bring in another panelist. Uh, this next gentleman is somebody who has interviewed, uh, I'll, I'll actually go so far as to say royalty as far as celebrities are concerned. He does it for a living. I mean, I have fun with this, it's my hobby. This guy does it for a paycheck. We were just talking about that. Ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna recognize the voice and you're gonna recognize the face. Sam Cook, welcome. Hello everyone, hello. Thank you, David. Thank you, Alex, hello. How you doing? Hello. We're doing great and clearly you're great. calling from Brooklyn with that accent, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, what? no, I'm actually calling from Cardiff. Uh, so um, I, I, I'm from Wales, uh, the, the home of the fourth actor to play James Bond, Timothy Dalton. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people on here who, who have heard of Wales. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I, thank you very much for having me on. I, I'm really excited to chat about this particular novel. Yeah, and you know, so you said something to me too right before we went on air that you're definitely a movie guy. You're not so much a yeah. reader, so you had certain expectations with this book, didn't you? Well, yeah. So when I was um, so 2006, set the scene. 2006. I I am literally 10 years old, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, sorry, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm 10 years old, and having watched Casino Royale. Um, I wanted to find out a little bit more about the character of James Bond by reading uh, Casino Royale, the, the original book. But what I was taken aback by was how different the book is to the film. Uh, and that's obvious, you know, that's obvious now because it was written at a much earlier time and times were different and it was a completely different war. Um, so I did have some reservations when you asked me to be part of the Bond book club uh, because I, um, I'm, not, I'm not much of a reader. I, I, I prefer watching films. Um, but those uh, reservations were quickly diminished having, what, having started to read this book. But that's, that's fantastic because you are kind of the, I hate to be marketing wise, but you're the target audience. You know, we always want to attract people uh, to come in to, that really haven't explored the books. And by the way, you've got young people and seniors that haven't explored the books. So this was a, a great entry point. And by the way, I should have asked this before, Alex, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, all right. It's not champagne. It's not Pettinger Blanc de Blanc. Uh, I'm kind of a alcohol lightweight. So I pretty much stick to wine and beer, mostly um, like, Wheat beers, and this one is a Prosecco. Oh, very Close. nice. Partling. No, that's yeah. like a Krug. Really? I get it. Yeah. Okay. You get applause for but that. I will, yeah. I will tell you, just quick. Yeah. Usually I drink in the flute, but because it took place in the 60s. <laughs> that's the real deal. Yeah, no, that's what they would have actually had in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. And Sam, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I'd love to say that I'm drinking something uh, as lavish as Alex. Uh, however, I had, uh, I literally did have one too many vodka martinis last night. So uh, I'm, I'm on the soft drinks uh, tonight uh, at Pepsi Max. Um, <laughs> so I, I noticed somebody was drinking Sprite uh, on, yeah. on, on this. So uh, I, I'm with him. 
Yeah, it's um, so that is Pepsi. That's the, your recovery drink, isn't it? <laughs> Just yeah, that's but well, thing is, what we don't take into account is that the time zones in which we're filming uh, this. So here, here in Wales, it's ten o'clock at night. So I've had the whole day of this hangover. So this is this Ooh. is the end point now. Um, so this is that little thing to give me a bit of a kick. Uh, Tiki Bond is a, is a fan of Pepsi Max, so you at least have one out there, which is great. There we are. Um, by the way, gentlemen, you know, Alex, you know, you've been a, a veteran in the martial arts, but also in the Bond community. Sam, you know, you straddle both fandom, but also your professional life. I, I desperately wanted to invite a fourth panelist, kind of a newcomer, uh, someone that hasn't really been around on social media, et cetera, for a long time, just to kind of break them in and just also show people, look, we don't just get people that we're friends with or anything like that. So let me uh, bring in. Joe, Joe, Joe Darlington to the show. Joe, welcome. I'm coming out. Da, da. My... <laughs> da, 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 da. By the way, somebody actually just said, where's Joe? And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, this is how it's going to go tonight? Hey, hey they, they, they came to, to, to hear the, the genius, which is Joseph Darlington. They got to, you know, we got to deliver. You know that wearing a tweed jacket does not make you a genius. Listen, this is my, my best <laughs> college professor look, okay? Um, and I did say to myself, I, what can what can I wear that's a little of uh, uh, Johan, you're so right. I don't know, who is this guy? Um, I, I did want something that was like kind of slightly, I, I mean, I don't have a kilt, uh, but I figured, well, I'll do my Sir, Sir Hillary Bray tweedish jacket. That, that, ah. <laughs> Okay, I that's see. As close as I can get. <laughs> I I totally get it. I think that's good. Now, Joe, do you have a libation tonight? Are you are we doing Pepsi? Hello, who are we talking to here? By the way, shout out to Jerry who's <laughs> doing the uh, the Americano. I decided to go with my variation, the Negroni. Ooh, uh, oh, I love a Negroni. It's it's honestly, I I kind of find it to be one of the most Fleming esque cocktails lately. I I you know even as I was sort of putting it together and I was smelling the Campari. It, it literally kind of brings me back to Paris. That's the first time I tried one of these. I literally went uh, and was sort of doing a bond crawl and and went to Fouquet's and, and had to order. At that point, it was the Americano. So the Campari still sort of pulls me back a little bit. So this is my, my kind of Fleming drink. That's fantastic. And by the way, this is what happens when you run one of these shows. You know, we've got, you know, a decent amount of people in the audience here watching and I'm running kind of the electronics. And I glanced at a comment that I'm going to read to you and it's to Joe. But here, if you hear what I heard, Joe, I've been watching all your reviews and it gave me a whole new appreciation for Octopussy. So I read that quickly and I, I started to turn red, but happily <laughs> it was a reference to a film. Thank you. Je Jerry has obviously great taste. A, he's drinking an Americano and he's become an octopus fan. So you, you can't go wrong. <laughs> so we're doing this right. Let's get into it. First of all, gentlemen of the panelists, cheers to you. Cheers. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. With my Pepsi Max. Cheers to everybody in the chat. Um, I, I, I quite frankly thought this would be uh, a light show today because it's a it's a holiday here in the States, but um, clearly people want to talk about Honor Majesty Secret Service. So let me start off with a little bit of a, a preheat. So we know this is the second book in what is known as the Blofeld Trilogy, which begins with Thunderball and concludes with You Only Live Twice. So this is kind of the, the sandwich meat. Um, we know that the story, and I'm going to read this quick, centers on Bond's ongoing search to find Ernst Stavro Blofeld after the Thunderbolt incident through 
connection with the College of Arms in London, Bond finds Blofeld based in Switzerland. And after meeting him and discovering his latest plans, Bond attacks the center where he's based, although Blofeld escapes in the confusion. Bond meets and falls in love with Contessa Teresa Tracy de Vicenzo during the story. The pair marry at the end of the story, but Blofeld kills Bond's wife hours after the ceremony. All right, this has been David Zritsky for the Bond experience. We can get, no, <laughs> there's so much detail to get into. So let's start off, Joe, with you. Um, plot and story. This is mm. one of the favorites of many people. Why is it that you enjoy Honor Majesty's Secret Service, the plot? Uh, that's a great question. And I, and I would say I have read this book oh. just a, more than a couple of times. I, I probably have, I think I've got almost every copy on paper. But actually, I shouldn't even, shouldn't even say that because I'm sure there's tons. Um, but I've certainly read this book many times and I enjoy it thoroughly. Uh, I won't fast forward. I, I think the plot is spectacular. I think the plot is probably one of the best and you know i, I find as i reread this book uh you know this i've always sort of said about this book and and subsequently the film of course uh it really does illustrate why fleming does it so different and it's so hard to recapture what he's doing uh i mean the plot to me is fantastic it is a detective plot that puts him undercover it is a classic mission like you like uh yeah. and he's i mean spending so much time completely undercover i, I kind of feel like that's sort of different i mean we kind of associate bond with doing that mm -hmm. uh but i think as far as full-blown going undercover it, it doesn't happen that often he kind of walks in and says hi i'm james bond uh but honestly and again this is why i say fleming is so different the the layered story the intertwining of the romance with tracy yeah and and the the and by extension his relationship with her father draco i mean that to me is just that that's what sort of elevates this book into something that's really sumptuous you know this is a delicious book uh, and, and that is something you don't see these days like when, when you have when you hear a story when he's talking about how you need to dominate her and you you're not going to see that in any modern bond film uh so so yeah that stuff like that really gives you such i mean and it's uh, this is a genuine romance book i mean there's yeah. it's it hot and heavy at certain times so um you know i i, I so I, yeah i i find it to be wholly unique and transcendent yeah, I, I agree. And I know Andrew agrees with you, too, because he's got a great point also. And Joe, this is I think you're speaking from the same hymn. The plot starts off grounded and hence it's relatable. And I always use this term terrestrial. So mm. if it's of this earth, if we can relate to it, if it sounds like it's something plausible, you know, almost scientific, then we're going to be more ingrained in the plot. And, and Andrew's got a great point. It literally starts off that way. Now, for you, Sam, I know you went into the expectation of the book being entirely different than the movie, and yet you were pleasantly surprised. But from a high-level plot point, were you satisfied with it? Yes, because On Her Majesty's Secret Service is one of my favorite Bond films. Um, so I kind of went into it quite hopeful, if I'm honest. Um, and, um, you know, like Joe was saying about it being grounded and realistic, uh, it, it, it's very... I could imagine it as a film today 
And because, um, you know, I've mentioned to you, David, previously how Casino Royale is my favorite James Bond film. Um, and there are plot elements in the, the, the film Casino Royale where that love story element uh, is very prevalent in the On Her Majesty's Secret Service book. Um, and yeah, I was immediately hooked because you see James Bond in a different light, don't you? You, yeah. you, you. Most people would assume James Bond is this suave killer. Um, however, you read this and you see a softer and a more emotional side to James Bond. And I think that you, he becomes more likable. I think in this book, um, actually. Um, but yeah, no, no, like yeah, I, 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 I was very pleasantly surprised. And hey, I will gonna... read. I will read more Bond books now. He's hooked, ladies and gentlemen. You know what? We, the Ian Fleming Foundation, will be so happy with you. We, um, we are they, we are they watching <laughs> constantly? Aren't they uh, always? We we notice something in this book too, and and it's interesting to hear Joe. And by the way, Joe, this is I gotta I just gotta show you this. KK says I imagine Joe while I read. I don't know what that means, and I don't want to know. Um, I imagine me too. So I completely understand. Some, yeah, well, that's that's a different term. But but basically, one of the things is that it's interesting that a group of guys who like badass Bond moments are saying that you know something. What brings me down to earth and connects me is a love story. Um, Alex, you know, plot love story. Did it come together pretty well for you? Oh, immensely. Uh, you know, of course, I came to it. I, I'm just for the first time reading these books because of this, uh, mm. because of this bond reading challenge, uh, Fleming reading challenge. So it, um, so coming to the book, having come from the film, uh, really, you know, uh, yeah, it didn't really surprise me, but it, it, it did really see the deeper version of bond and how Fleming, you know, one of the things that I always I was impressed by reading the books is how real a person bond is. You know, in the movies, he's a superhero. He's got everything. He's got everything under control. He's got everything, you know, he can do everything. In the books, he studies. He practices. He yeah. trains. He trains in this one. You know, he's training. He's studying. He had to study, um, you know, uh, uh, about the, um, uh, was it horology? Um, the, about, you know. Heraldry? The, yeah. Uh, Genealogy. Heraldry. Heraldry. Thank you. He had to study heraldry. He had to practice. You don't see that in the movies. There's no time for it, and it would slow yeah. uh, the movies down to a grinding halt. Well, and Roger but Moore really got away from it because he knew everything about everything, oh, butterflies, etc. Yeah, he was an ex. He was an expert, and even uh, you know, he's an expert at lepidoptery in this yes. one. But no, but the fact that he had to study, he has to train, he has to get himself fit. He had to get himself fit to know to escape from his Gloria, you know, in the book is just amazing. And then you see the deeper versions of him and uh, dare I say a tender side, you know, yeah, a, a more tender true. bond. And he is very moved by Tracy's story. He's very moved by her, her past. Um, and he's affected, that's affects him, you know, deeply. So you don't see that in, the movie Bond very much. It's a little more superficial in the film. That's true. And you know, one of the things that I, I noticed, and a couple of people are saying it, you know, you have so much research in here. Joe, Joe Hahn's got a great point. Pages and pages of heraldry when they go over agriculture. We'll, we'll go over some of those fine points soon. But one of the things that that does is it it grounds us so nicely, but it makes us a little bit more enveloped 
into the plot itself. It makes it more realistic that a movie couldn't possibly do, Alex, like you're saying, for time's sake. It just could not connect us like that. But one of the things that I stepped away from a plot standpoint, I closed the book. I remember this very well. And by the way, for those of you in the audience um, watching this, the reason I wanted to do this is to really kind of show you our, our first impressions. And obviously we wanna hear yours as well. Um, when I stepped away and closed the book, I thought Fleming is back. You know, he had some missteps with short stories, The Spyo Loved Me, some of those other things he experimented. You had people saying Thunderball wasn't even his story. You know, it was a treatment. And it was almost like he was like, those MFers, you know, I'm gonna show them. <laughs> and he just, bang, you know, you can almost hear the music going with his fingers clacking away. And he decided to put the kitchen sink in there, just like what we love with Casino Rail, Sam, is like, you know, the romance, but it wasn't romance where you felt like Bond was belittled in any way. It, it was, you know, there was a reviewer who literally said when he finished his book, this is back in the 60s, a reviewer said, Bond is back, the man that every man wants to be and every woman wants between the sheets, <laughs> which you would never review like that nowadays. I get it, but damn, I mean, that's kind of important. But let's talk about James Bond. This is a Bond book in this. And Sam, we're going to start with you. Um, Bond as a character. Now, I know you've only read one other book, but it was Casino Royale where he had a lot of weak moments and you were like, mm. this isn't Daniel Craig. Um, <laughs> but what did you think about the portrayal of Bond written by Fleming in this book? Just realistic. He's just a very realistic sort of man. At the beginning of the book, he is a man who is fed up with his job. And I think there's so many people out there, there's probably a lot of people on here now uh, who are fed up with their jobs. And um, you watch that uh, progression uh, or regression in this instance, kind of a bond going from a man who hates his job to falling in love and this whole different sort of, you know, ch change in the character, really. Um, so, you know, and, and that's the thing, I think, because whenever I think of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, I do think of it, and I think a lot of people do think of it as that one Bond film that sort of steered off course a little bit with um, George Lazenby in the role. And I mm. think that might be... Um, you know, I, I think people might have different interpretations of that if it was another actor in the role. Um, so, like I said, it was reservations when I went into the book, but the character is a lot more interesting in this book than just your, your box standard James Bond stereotype. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think a lot of you have said this and we're seeing it right now in the audience. Um, the Bond definitely showed his his emotional side. And then on top of that, there was that moment, and Sam, you probably recognize that reading Casino Royale where he visits the grave of you know, Casino Royale's Vesper Lynn moment, um, which he did every year, which is amazing uh, that they're connecting that together in this book. Hmm. Oh, well, and like you said, you know, the films just wouldn't have that ability to showcase all these moments because not in the way that the, the books do, because obviously you know there's a lot more opportunity to delve deeper into the character um and i think if the films did highlight that point uh people would stop criticizing the bond character and and sort of have a little bit more empathy for him by the way uh news flash while we've been sitting here and this is pretty big i know there's been a lot of bond announcements throughout the whole week this one i need to interrupt the bond book club because as much as this guy 
always debates me on things. Calvin Dyson has agreed with me. <laughs> wow. uh, this is going to make big news today. Totally agree with David's comment. <laughs> was a brilliant return to form after a few misfires and experiments. Feel like Fleming had to get some stuff out of his system before coming back to brilliance. We call that purging, Calvin. And I'll see you on the debate floor, sir. Um, Alex, you mentioned that Bond, the character, is he's a researcher. He's a learner. He's getting to know. What else did you think about him? What was that persona that he brought to this book? Yeah, again, it's it's really that more humanistic version of him. You know, it's the fact that he is a kind of, like I said, Tracy reaches him. It reaches a part of him that I don't think he ever really explored Mason's Vesper, but even Vesper, he was kind of closed off and cool through that whole thing. And yeah, maybe he, he goes to Vesper's grave every year, but um, this one, it, it really struck him. And I don't know if it was because of Marc Ange's description of what she went through. One of the things they don't mention in the movie is that she lost a baby and she had mm. a child. Yep. And the reason why she was so suicidal was because, probably because of the baby's death due to spinal meningitis. Uh, that probably reached him. You know, so you, you can really see that there's uh, more emotional depth to Bond in this than all the other previous films. Although, I mean, all the, all, I mean, all the previous books, all the books had him as a more emotional, more realistic person, three-dimensional person right. in the films. But this one really just goes for it. And, and I think, to me, one of the things, and I'm going to just bring up maybe a slight detour here, I was also researching a little bit what was Ian Fleming going through during this time. Yeah. And this was a month, no, a year after he had a heart attack. He was, his marriage to Anne was at an all time low. And he had struck up a relationship with Blanche Blackwell at this time. So all these things, and they're filming Dr. No down this, you know, you know, his, his, his life is exploding. It's, his, uh, so it's, it was a real term, uh, uh, time of change and, and reflection for Ian Fleming. So I think he put a lot of that into Bond and he put a lot of that into this book. It's funny you say that too, because um, people that were close to him, if you ever read the book GoldenEye, which is basically discussing GoldenEye, the resort, not the resort, the, the place in Jamaica, um, they said that there were two books that really kicked off the inspiration of Fleming. It was Casino Royale and Honor Majesty's Secret Service because he wrote them because of what he was going through. And he put yeah. names and people and events. And it's interesting because you're all talking about the emotions so far. And Joe, heat up because we're going to you next. But one of the things I noticed about the bond that I encountered in this book is a lot more wit. You know, he had kind of the witty comebacks and the discussions and how he played off, you know, the, the girls in Piz Gloria. It was a little bit closer, and he hadn't seen a movie yet, but it was a little bit closer to what we actually get in the movie. Like he was starting to get a little bit more commercial bond with the witticisms and the competency. So as before, if you look at Casino Royale, you know, he was the kind of shambling mound, you know, with Vesper. This was a guy that had a certain amount of prowess and confidence and, uh, dare I say, winning ability that you hadn't seen in a lot of books. And this book, I think, delivered that. But Joe, I know you've got an opinion on this. 
Yeah, I, I completely uh, I completely agree. I, I think that you do start to see hints of uh, cinematic Bond in this where he's a little more... Uh, it, it's interesting when he's playing Sir Hillary in this and he's talking to the girls, you can really see the shift in his character like he, he starts to play a character in this hmm. you know like i mean and, and it's interesting it's it's on on screen it's very easy to see it, him playing a part they literally dub his voice etc um in the book you'd think it wouldn't be so hard so easy to spot but it's actually very easy to spot i kind of find that he you can very easily pick up that he's saying things he wouldn't normally say and he's kind of performing a little bit i mean he at one point he pulls out that old bar game where you where you you're burning oh, yeah. the um the napkin dropping the th you know and you know i i i thought it was so funny because again i'm thinking to myself i don't really see james bond doing like pub games like that but he's, <laughs> again he's he's playing a part so yeah. uh it made perfect sense there were actually a lot of times and alex brought up a great point about how you know uh tracy had actually lost a, a child and that lent to, to to her her complete state of that of desperation, which again is is explained very well in the book. Uh, I, I, I there was a few things that were in the book that don't show up in the film that I thought was spectacular. One of which was there's a scene early. He hasn't been in his glory long. He, it's like it might be his first night, and there's like this this loud scream, yeah, a, a male scream. And he finds out that essentially they had pitched someone down the bobsled. Yeah. One of the henchmen, they just, they bumped him off. And that is, and again, I can completely understand why it's not necessary in the film. But when you're reading the book, the tension level absolutely goes up. You know, he, he's absolutely in peril. So, you know, again, there's, there's so many things in here that I feel like this is kind of, as I read the book, I feel like that's, this is a great example of why if they were to sort of redo the books as like period um, long form stories, basically like a, like a streaming where it's many, many episodes to, to get through. I would really love to see that kind of a version with this because yeah. there's so many times when when there's there's so so much richness that they couldn't quite get to in the film, which makes perfect sense. Um, and again, I don't want to skip ahead and talk about the movie, but but on it, but just in revisiting the book, yeah, it's so great because if you're already a fan of the film and then you become a fan of the book, the book gives you that again, much more in-depth reading of the story. And it it, it kind of it, it let, lets you rediscover this whole story all over again. It's a richness. And you know, you you said something I want to highlight, and Alex, we're gonna go to you um after I say this. So and I want your comment on this too, because I felt in this book more than any time that I've read this book, and I probably met it, read it three times before, not in a long time. I felt when Bond felt dread, I felt dread. You know, when his, you know, friend who comes in there, who's all like, you know, he's befuddled and he screams, James, James, it's me. Tell them it's me right in front of Blofeld. And Bond feels dread. I felt dread. When Bond has to go to the mountain, he freaking escaped the mountain and he's got to go back to the mountain and portray himself again. I felt dread. And this is the mastership of Fleming. He, he embeds bond with the same fallible issues that we have, 
You know, Sam, you talked about jobs we don't like or situations we don't want to be in. We feel dread. This guy is not Superman. He's not Clark Kent. He's a guy that feels dread. And so we feel this individual that what he goes through. I mean, Alex, did you get that feeling too? Like you could almost project yourself into the character? Oh, I was getting anxiety reading it. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, especially during the, the, the ski chases and whatnot. Um, you know, you do feel that he, he really does see his life in danger. And he's been there before. You know, he knows he knows this territory, and yet it still scares the living shit out of him. Excuse my language. And you can feel it, especially, in, you know, in, in moments of this story. So you realize he is a real person. He's not a superhero. And, you know, and he gets beat up and he gets hurt. And he, you know, he does feel that, that fear. And as a reader, you, it, Fleming's writing is so good. Fleming's right prose is so wonderfully done that he can transfer those feelings into you. And so some of the times, mostly I read this at night and I would try to read it going to bed. A lot of times I had to like, I can't read this right now because it's gonna, wow. I'm gonna go to bed with nightmares and I'm gonna have, to, I'm not gonna be able to sleep if I read this passage. So I had to say, you know what, I'm gonna do it, we'll do it sometime tomorrow because I knew as I'm reading it, I could feel my own kind of anxiety sort of come up a little bit and I'm like, this is this is some exciting stuff. By the way, um, I need to stop for a second because I think KK might be either Joe's mom <laughs> or Mary, his girlfriend, but um, cannot be a legitimate person from the Bond community. <laughs> Just putting it out there. <laughs> Sam, we do not need to stop talking about Bond because it's a Bond book, but I would like to ask you about the next character I want to focus on, which is uh, Mark Ange Draco. Yes. Draco, to me, is a great entry point of the traditional villain, I'm putting that in quotes, that is also acting on the side of good. And we tend to like these people the best in the movies. But now you've got one show up in a book, kind of a love-hate relationship. I mean, clearly a bad guy, but is he? What did you think of Draco? Well, I think the theme of criminality in this book is certainly questionable mm. and kind of um, which villain, you who, who is really making the right decisions here in the book and kind of, I think the character of uh, uh, Mark, Mark Ange, you know, you look at his relationship with Tracy uh, and you evaluate it a little bit more than you would say in the film. Because in mm. the film, obviously, this guy just comes... Uh, comes up and he literally is um just you know he's just charming and dashing yeah. and and just you fall in love with that character whereas this one you know you you um yeah you just you 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 do you 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 question whether you like him as much D damn fool i did idealistic crusader draco in the novel <laughs> has a great sense of menace that isn't in the film version would you agree with that sam menace yes i think so i think because like i said it goes back to the point where in the film he's very charming and in this book he he's a little bit more evil and you you don't know whether to trust him or not i think and, I, and that, again that's very good character development it is joe, joe you must live for characters like this what did you think of this oh absolutely i i i loved um you know and by the way i i i, I did do the audiobook this time um and which one Oh, good question. David Tennant? Uh, David yes. Tennant. Oh, 
Good. I did it. I did that too. <laughs> nice. And and he performs the actual voices. He he does. He does. And it, and it was one, that's one of the things I noticed about this is like for there was one scene where Bond was sort of minding his own business and all of a sudden you hear Sir Hillary when you hear the audiobook he's doing the voice so you knew it was Irma Bunt right. as opposed to if you're just reading it you don't know who it is yet um yeah but I, I he, he does a great job of these it's very good uh but yes I I the Draco character honestly is easily one of my favorite characters in the whole franchise and you're absolutely right I think when you when you watch the film you sort of already start to get this like really cool uh father-in-law uncle kind of relationship you know a little older but but still a, a good guy you want on your side in the book it's kind of a little more Reggie where you're not Sure, if you like this guy just yet. So, you know, it's kind of like that joke in Swingers. I don't want you to be the PG-13 everybody's rooting for. I want you to be the guy in the rated R movie who you're not sure if you like yet. That's I, I, I kind of feel like Draco in the book is the rated R guy. You're not sure if you like it. And that's a good point because I found that Draco went through almost arcs. You know, he had this great entry point. Um, and you're, you're right, Sam. He's not the, the charmer that the movie portrays. Um, but he goes through different aspects. And you can as somebody that has a daughter, you can feel that he has this incredible love and frustration for his family and for Tracy. And yet at the same time, he's a wheeler and dealer. By the way, I'm getting questions about what I'm eating. Um, I always have to have snacks. So I have um, very Bond that, snacks. That looks, quite, that looks quite posh. Yeah, it's um, two different types of cheeses um, uh, from Switzerland, actually, um, because it's, yeah. On and then brand. figs. And then I've got some crudite in here. Now, this looks like a penis, and I know it does, <laughs> but it's it's a vintage thing, so you can hold it like this, people. It's not a penis. I, I never would have said that until you, I thought that until you said it. Now I can't think of anything. Else. Well, now I screwed it all up. <laughs> but this is, Put that on the I, cover. This is why YouTube knocks me off of YouTube. Thank you. Yeah, I'd like to introduce... introduce Mary or Joe's mother, I am not bougie. Okay, look at this, Joe. Look at look at what they're saying. I did, I did. I did. I'm, Horrible. I'm very curious to know who that is. Well, we'll find out in the end. I'm sure it'll be a big reveal. So, Alex, I've got to ask you, you know, same question. Draco, this... this is he a villain? Is he a good guy? Is he a father-in-law? What is he? There was, yeah, in the story, the to, for me, the way I was trying to, when we were, when I was proposed with this, I was trying to struggle, you know, what's my way into this book? What is this, what is the theme of this book? What's, what is the kind of the, the hook or the, th the, the thing that this book kind of hinges on? And when I, I read the book and then I, listen to the uh, David Tennant um, uh, audiobook again yeah. and it struck me there's a passage in here and I had I wrote it down because mm. to me this is the key to the book and let me just read it out loud yeah so this is the scene where Bond is first confronted with uh, Mark Ange and Mark Ange is telling him the story of, of Tracy and what has happened to her and everything. And he says, and part of this is in the film. They use a little, they use a little bit of this in the movie, uh, a couple of lines, but they don't really go into it. And for me, the book hinges on this. It's when he says, they burn the heart 
out of themselves, talking about how she went to uh, a Swiss finishing school and got caught up with the jet set and whatnot. So she said, and he's talking about this sort of these, uh, the, the children of wealthy parents, and the, the, mm. the jet set crowd. And he says that they burn the heart out of them, out of them by living too greedily. And suddenly they examine their lives and see that they are worthless. They have had everything eaten all the sweets of life at one great banquet and there is nothing left. Oof. And to me, that idea of having, you know, living the life of avarice, having everything you wanted, having everything served up to you on a plate, and then realizing that it was ultimately worthless, it, does, it didn't, doesn't really come to anything struck me profoundly. Now, um, I will say that I practice Buddhism, and, and in the life of the Buddha, this was a big, big theme because he grew up as a prince, and he realized that you know having everything wasn't the answer to happiness. Then he went to an aesthetic, having nothing wasn't, having to, wasn't happiness. It was the middle path, sort of having a, a life of equanimity, not too much, not too little. And, you know, having this in the book and having Bond be sort of, I hate to say it, but be sort of the Buddha of the book <laughs> and understanding that and, and that striking him and saying, yeah, I, under, I get that. Because, you know, he could have, he lives that life of avarice and of great pain, of having everything and having nothing. You know, he, he straddles those extremes all the time. So coming into this story, it's like as if Ian Fleming is, you know, for once starting to realize that middle path, that everything, having everything isn't the answer and having nothing isn't the answer. And when Mark Ange says that to him and says that this is why Tracy was suicidal, um, to me was the key into that book. And it, it really sucked me into it and said, yeah, this is gonna be a much deeper story than we've ever had before and a much more prophetic story and a much more meaningful story than we've ever had before. I think that's a great point because one thing I reflected on Bond in this book more than the other books, you know, you would always read about Bond's sort of snobbery. You know, there was even the critics would say snobbery and opulence. And in this book, he's really just talking about having enough, uh, to your point. You know, he's even talking several about- Several times. Several times he goes into it. And if we go back to Fleming, and we always know that, we know this already, uh, Bond is a megaphone for what Fleming is going through in his mind and in his personal life. He probably was like, hey, I've to your point, Alex, I've had a heart attack. Maybe I've, I've, I've fought with my own demons in my life. This book club is getting so freaking heady. Um, and, <laughs> and on top of that, um, at the end of it, I've realized that happiness is the equity of life, not money. And I think he's got the money, Fleming. He's got the fame. But what he may not have is happiness. It's just exceeded his reach. And so that's what he's talking about. And Sam, I'm going to move it to you because I want to move this conversation to someone that brought Bond happiness for just a wee moment, and that is Tracy. Now, Tracy yes. gets dinged by a lot of readers that she is a weaker Bond girl than most of the other film, uh, films, the, the novels. What did you think? 
I I don't think so. I think there's there is a lot more um, to kind of uh, analyze with Tracy. I like the fact she's a complex character, and I think that complexity means that we relate with her. Um, you see her and you know the attitudes towards mental health have obviously changed nowadays as to what they were back then. Um, you see her at the beginning, clearly somebody who is struggling with her mental health. You know, she physically tries to commit suicide. Um, and then kind of you watch this progression in her, you see her find her happiness. And, and I think briefly about what you were talking about there with um, James Bond and Ian Fleming, uh, he, almost as if Bond can never truly be happy. Um, that's the that's really the kind of vibe that I got from it. You you had him at the start of the novel where he was fed up of his job. He was in this really low place, similar to Tracy in that respect. But Bond obviously thick skinned doesn't show it um and i think that's why those characters not me not me being a cupid or a or a love matcher but they, they work well as as uh characters um but yeah I, I think that um she does go on a journey tracy and i think therefore that is, and, you know i haven't read all the bond books but hmm. from what i've seen uh from the characters of both um the contessa and vespa both of them are fairly tragic characters um who go on journeys and therefore to me that makes them more interesting yeah it's it's going to be interesting at the end sam because we're going to be talking about movie to book and book to movie and this is one of these rare instances where i think the movie may have done a character more justice what i mean by that is i think fleming wrote tracy to simply be a foil and a connection to Bond, to highlight mm. Bond, to bring Bond through different emotional moments. And I felt like she was there to serve it. Um, actually, damn fool idealistic crusade says, Tracy's great. The problem is she's not in the book enough. Okay. Yeah. One of the best things Maybaum did was to directly involve her in the climax of the story and thus directly involve her with Blofeld. And I tell you, we got some smart people yeah in this. and maybe they're not drinking as much as we are um and speaking of that uh joe tracy the book version mm. it sounds like a title of something the book version of tracy <clears throat> by joe darlington yeah um what do you think uh first off to josh's point i think i think not only in this is he spot on correct that the film uh was very smart to pull her back into the story that way so that th there is more of a sense in in the movie that it, that it kind of goes full circle, where we we get a lot of Tracy at the beginning, we we lose her in the middle, we find her again to remember how much we sort of missed her, and then she's there for the whole thing. And yes, essential to to the to part of the climax, which which makes the the climax of the film that much more satisfying. Uh, there's actually a few things that they actually improve on in the film, which I think is a very, that's kind of one of the best things I can say about it. Uh, but yeah, no, I think Tracy in the novel is spectacular. And, and honestly, mm. I think as I was sort of rereading it this time, here's, here's how I'll sort of say this. If, if, if someone was writing your life story, like if, if, if someone was doing your life story, and there was going to be a fictional version of your life story on either on the screen or on the small screen, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, you would probably want, like, if you know, if what do you want people to sort of know about you? You would want people to know 
the, the, the deepest, darkest trenches that you had to sort of struggle and get yourself out of. But you also want that moment where you triumphed and, and, and the, the great moment where everyone recognized how wonderful you were. Yeah. You know, you want you want your lowest point, your lowest lows and your highest highs. Um, I think this book does this for her. I, I think the book shows her at her worst moment and then later shows the dramatic change where not only, you know, you know, Bond remarks when he finds her again in the village and she's essential to helping him escape, etc. That's great. And Bond sort of marvels at just what a different person this is. Like she just seems to have come to life and now she's in her element. She's performing. Um, I, I think the movie might even do this just a tiny bit better where it accentuates Tracy's kind of running the show, frankly. I mean, Bond's in the passenger seat. So I, I think this book really does her justice, frankly. Wow, that's, you know, something I, I'm glad you had that opinion because it's not one that I typically hear. I know that I've watched and read some of the reviews and they're like, Tracy's okay. But I mean, I love the fact that you clearly saw this arc and you see those moments and it wasn't even a time-related thing that she needed to be the main character. It should always be Bond. Yeah. But she had enough. Yeah, that. but but again, and I but I also love that kind of circular storytelling where again we 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 we've, we've had her a, a big chunk of her in the beginning, and yeah. then by the time you know Bond has kind of gone off and been focused on the mission, and then and then all of a sudden at his lowest point, boom, who shows up, and and now we're back with her and we finish the story out with her. Um, so yeah, I I I think it's spectacular. I, I I will agree though that the film was very smart and took it a level higher by pulling her into the climax. Yeah. One of the things about the, the stories that, that I think could have been done better was exactly that. And they, they do improve it. Like the idea that Bond rescues her, puts her in, in, you know, okay, so you hang out here for a while while I go take care of the business. Uh, absolutely. The, 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 the film absolutely improves on that. Yeah, agreed. Alex, you've mentioned Tracy a couple times in your descriptions of the plot and also as a connection with Bond. It almost seems like Tracy is an intrinsic character aligned with other events and people. Um, was that an observation that you made? Does she, does she stand out on her own or is she just tied with others? For me, I, I what, remarked, what was remarkable about Tracy for me was the fact that she accepts Bond. She accepts Bond completely. She doesn't want him to change. She even says to him, I don't want you to change. I don't want you to quit your job. In the movie, he, he says, I'm going to have to quit. In the book, she's like, I don't want you to quit. I want you to keep doing what you were doing. And I don't mind me if I go crazy in, once in a while, but that's just because I love you. But I completely, utterly accept everything about you. And, you know, that, well, what bigger, better definition of love than total acceptance of, of who that person is? You know, Bond could, not, could be completely himself around yeah. Tracy. He may have had to put on some sort of bravado or some sort of affectation or whatever, I don't know, but with other women, but with, with Tracy, you really get the idea that Bond can have, needs to have no pretense. He can be completely himself, completely open, can do and still do the things he wants to do, still be the person he wants to be. And Tracy's completely mm -hmm. accepting of that. And, and to me, that was, yeah, that, I, I could see the romance right there because of that, because of that reason. You know, it's funny. I, I promised myself I would not go to movies towards the until the end. 
It's it's some of everybody's favorite part, but I know we're interspersing, but it's interesting to know that we're less than 30 days away till no time to die. And when you see Madeline Swan and Bond now, I almost think like the writers may have borrowed some of that aspect, Alex, of the whole fact that Madeline knows that this guy is a freaking assassin, but her father is a bad guy too, slash Tracy's father is a bad guy too. And is that an easier way to accept somebody? Is it a daddy complex that's going on? I'm in love with another bad guy that's just like my dad. I Don't go into it. I know you're tempted. Look, I see the eyes <laughs> shifting, don't do it. Because okay, okay. It, it's really important that I talk to Sam about one of my favorite characters in this book, and they're not a main character. They're a crusty curmudgeon but I love the chit-chat back and forth, and that is M. This, to me, felt like the, the, the some of the best M moments in any of the books. Yeah. Well, when I read the, um, you know, when I when I actually read the book, um, I couldn't think of anyone other than Bernard Lee. When, yes. And I, I, you hear his voice when he when, and it's so strange because obviously Bernard Lee was cast after, you know, a long time after this actually came out, and it was just like, it, it you do hear his voice when when reading the book. But um, yeah, the, I, you hear the sort of authoritative nature. Uh, in the character of M, and you can see that kind of odd relationship that him and Bond have. Um, like I mentioned before, Bond is clearly very fed up with M and his way of doing things mm -hmm. uh, at the start of the novel. Um, and yeah, again, I think you kind of love to hate M sometimes. And I think, um, and there's a lot of people who do, you know, just love M. But um, but yeah, no, like. I yeah that was I I I that was my opinion of M in in the book. Yeah, it, it, it's it, I agree with you though. It's like these moments where you're like you almost don't know who you're rooting for. Is it yeah. Bond or M? And you know I, I don't know, Joe. What did you think? I mean, did M stand out in this book? Did he just kind of blend in? Maybe I just overreacted. Well, I, I tell you what, and John Lennon made a great point. I wish the Christmas dinner was in the film. Um, I I. I kind of get what I he's really saying, thought you were going would... to quote John Lennon the singer that's where I thought you were going with that <laughs> thank you um you, you know the, the it's, it's interesting I I thought M was pretty good in this I I thought mm. he was fine I thought you you do get more of him that kind of good curmudgeon -y. I mean when, when he's literally doing Christmas dinner Bond is there, and his his is the couple who runs his house Hammond and Mrs. Hammond um yeah, the Christmas crackers turning my dining room into a nursery. I mean, I cracked up at that line. <laughs> I thought that good. was hysterical, and he literally said something like, "Go give them to needy children" or something like. Why the whole like fact that he's not even crying about the turkeys being killed in the whole agricultural <laughs> scheme? He's like, "If I never have a turkey, another turkey again, I'm fine with that." Right. Yeah. I. But you know. But it was interesting though. You know, the Christmas dinner was was a great moment. But I will say that it reminded me that the, the a little bit of the overall story structure, hmm. I think, was really tightened and refined for the film. And it's interesting. It, it's, hmm. it's, it is very difficult to talk about this book and not kind of talk about the film. Because, again, I you know, for probably all of us talking about this, in fact, definitely all of us, we saw the film before we read the book. And somebody sort of said in the comments, like, you know, re re when you read it, it feels like you're reading a novelization of the film. 
Yeah. And and it's hard not to because he, I mean honestly the only the only Fleming book I ever read before seeing the film was Casino Royale. That's the only one that has that very yeah. distinct um uh char characterization. Uh so yeah, it's funny when you when you sort of do that Christmas dinner and you and like but you're I'm reading this and I'm thinking this is a great scene but it's like guys it's Gloria. Stuff stuff is going on. What are you doing sitting around talking about figs and stuff like that? You know, like you like, you know. Um, so yeah, it, it's it is sort of I, as I was sort of rereading it this time, I, I did sort of notice again, I've noticed it in the past, is that I feel like it 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 does sort of kind of ebb and flow much differently than 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 the film, which really narrows yeah. it down to sort of a classic structure. And 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 by the way. I, I kind of remembered as I was rereading it again that the first few scenes in the book they're happening out of chronological mm. order. Bond is having essentially flashbacks about how did I get to where I am, which and it's funny how the flow is so good in the beginning yeah. that when they made the film they didn't try to straighten it out. They they just sort of faked it and 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 did things in the order they appear in the book without it trying to re-explain why it's happening in that order if that so yeah i i i think that they really did a great job i mean the the pace is really good i think yeah. by the end the pace gets a little funny and again i i can't separate i'm not sure if it's because it's a little wonky in the book or if i'm if i'm just sort of too tied up with how it plays out you, in the film. no 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 this is something i've heard and alex i want your opinion on this too because i've heard as much as alex you mentioned research where this book gets dinged when you read fan reviews as well as professional reviews, they say that when they talk about agriculture, when they talk about uh, the turkeys, when they talk about heraldry, when they talk about all those things, it can go on for pages. And do you need that much information? I mean, did you find yourself getting lost or did you find that it actually built the richness of the plot? Both, because on the hmm. one hand, you know, in the film, they're able to sort of gloss over that stuff to keep the flow of the story. On the other hand, you're getting the idea of how things really work, on how real detectives really work, on how the MI6 would really investigate this. What was interesting, the difference between the True. movie and the book, is that in the you know in the movie, it's the old you know Bond trope of Blofeld saying. You know, uh, you know, now that I've gotten you in a in a trap that you can easily escape from, if I just turn my back and pretend everything's <laughs> going to happen, <laughs> work out well, I'm going to tell you everything about what I'm going to do. Right. In the movie, he doesn't do that. And in real life, a villain wouldn't do that. He wouldn't just blab his entire um, plot to the to the to the hero and let him get away. He, they do it the way it would be really done in MI6 because yeah. Fleming was an MI6 agent. He knows how these things are done. So you get an, an insight into how these operations actually go, how they work, and you get to see um, how MI6 actually investigates and uncovers the plot through their own intelligence, their wit, and their own deductions, which is yeah. something that we don't get in the movies. I agree. And I, I love that part with M and the advisor when they're going through this in the MI6. And you could almost read 
not so much here, but read how people are like, things are starting to click. It's like, oh my gosh, oh, that's their plot. Um, as a reader, things are unfolding before you and the characters do a great job doing that. Now, we've got to move on to uh, some more of the baddies. I've, before we talk about the main, main one, we've got to talk about Miss Irma Bunt because I think she gets a bad rap. I'm, I'm going to start. I think she gets a bad rap. I mean, she seems like a nice person. She's got a good job. Is she working for an insidious place? Does she know that people are being sent down a bobsled? Does she know that the girls are going out and poisoning the turkeys and the agriculture? Well, yes. But I mean, we all have our secrets, right? We just didn't get to hers yet. And I think that I think that she's kind of likable. I know she's a toady character the way that Fleming writes her, but Joe, Irma Bunt, I mean, are you inviting her over for a Christmas dinner? I, I, I think that's a great point. There was a lot of points in the film where I sort of felt like I, I, you know, reading this book for the first time, I don't know if I would have known instantly that she's a villain. Right. You know, she, she, you're absolutely right. She, she is sort of written in a way that she could just have been one of the minions playing along. Doesn't really understand the bigger, the bigger plot. Um, right. It's, it is, it is a little, um, she's kind of just a house marm, not, not, yes. not necessarily, you know, like she's, she's the, um, what do, you, what do you call it when you're in college? The the, the um, on, on the floor, well, the house, the house mom, or whatever. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yes. Right. Yeah. Lives on the dorm floor to make sure there's no shenanigans. The CIT, uh, the counselor in training. Right. I said, yeah. Well, yeah. There's. The, yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. I I kind of agree. She was sort of interestingly portrayed in this, and and not necessarily. I mean, because because Bond because Fleming had no problem. You know, if a guard would walk in, he would just grunt something to James Bond, mm. you know, in, in a thick accent. Da, 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 da. You, I mean, okay, bad guy. I get it. You know, Irma yeah. Bunt wasn't, wasn't quite that. You know, she was much more subtle. Sam, are Joe and I smoking something? What did, <laughs> what did you think of Irma Bunt? <laughs> well, I mean, I just, literally when you were just saying that, I, I searched in a picture of Irma Bunt. and um the in the daily express they've they released a, a sort of rendered image of what she looked like and she just looks terrifying and, <laughs> and, and i would definitely i would definitely not want to meet her you know i think that uh but yeah again there's uh there's a lot more to her than meets the eye um obviously i'm going into this having watched the character of irma bunt in on her majesty's secret service the film and and that changes your perception when you go into yes. it first because I'm looking out for this dark, brooding sort of character, horrible, like nasty kind of character. And you, it's a, a, a little bit different uh, on the Irma Bunt um, front, but uh, Irma Bunt front. Ooh, Ooh. a rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's, um, I'm scared of her, if I'm honest. I am All right. scared of her. I mean, that's fair. And I, I think that you mentioned something really good that with this book in particular, especially as close as it is to the movie, it's impossible to, to wash off everything from the movie and not have certain expectations. But as I sat back and I'm thinking like, this is actually quite a nice person. She kind of likes Hillary Bray. She's yeah. kind of good to the girls and how is she associated? I mean, Alex, did I miss a passage? Did you see the good in her? Did you see the evil? What did you come away with? Evil fun. Just evil fun. Just a, a funny, 
Sounds like a first date. Really, yeah. Well, <laughs> I've had a few of those, but <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's uh, it, she was she was definitely not a good person, but she was also just almost the comedy relief in the story because mm. every time she showed up, something you knew something funny was going to happen, and it was going to be kind of this dark humor, you know, surrounding her. So I just I, en I enjoyed her uh, her interactions with with Bond, with Sir Hilary Gray. Um, not, very, not too different from the film, you know. I mean, I can't get, you know, I, I definitely connect the, the, the book, Irma Bunt, with the movie one. Um, they seem to coincide pretty well. And uh, yeah, a great, a, great hench, a great henchman or henchwoman, probably one of the yeah. best. I think what's gonna be interesting, I think, is when I go back now to watch on Her Majesty's Secret Service uh. Uh, after, having read the book um and i think i'll watch it in a different light um and i think that kind of, i think because because i'm not much of a a bond book reader i think this was an interesting book to choose for me because it is very very close to the film yeah. um and it was always it was a it's kind of a nice kind of if you just if I, if we'd have been talking about casino royale here i'd have been like it was a completely different what <laughs> you know but this was actually quite faithful um and uh yeah that i i think i will watch it differently now well spoiler alert matthew ganong says my thoughts on her might be influenced by her role in the next novel you only live twice oh matthew for sam that's that's a big spoiler alert for everybody else maybe not so much but um I, i've got to tell you as we move um at the top of the hour to the big baddie himself and it was interesting for me sam i gotta i gotta take a page from your book it was really hard for me not to, for some reason, when I was reading the Blofeld or hearing Blofeld from David Tennant, um, I had a mixture of the Kingpin character from Spider-Man uh, or Daredevil, if you ever watched the series, and Telly Savalas, because I couldn't get yeah. Telly Savalas out of my head. I, I really do want to talk about Blofeld, though, because I have some mixed emotions here where the movie version was so strong and so charismatic and so fun. And then this one was almost like always a, a step or two behind Bond up until mm -hmm. like the very end. And because of that, I didn't feel as much trepidation with this character. I felt like he could do some bad things, but Blofeld, a la Spectre, should feel like he is the worst guy. Like you do not want to tangle him. Joe, the novel Blofeld, in respect to this book, how did you feel about him? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I had the same reaction that you did. Good, I, I, I don't want the same opinion. Like, <laughs> I, I, I sort of walked away feeling almost a tad disappointed that you don't get a lot of good juicy Blofeld time because because you, you mm. never actually get that you know Merry Christmas 007 and, and the, the whole sit down <laughs> and him giving the whole plot about what he's really up to you know you never really get that because Bond kind of beats feet before that actually happens um, but I, to Michael Poplowski's point I, I do see sort of feel like when you read the book though tell, tell me if you wouldn't agree that Telly Zavallis isn't by far the best Blofeld I, like I don't, I don't see the Blofeld from this novel 
I, I don't see, um, certainly don't see Charles Gray, but I definitely don't see, um, who's the other little guy from, uh, you only live twice. Whose name popping out of my head for some reason. Donald Pleasant. Donald Pleasant. Donald Pleasant. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I, I sort of feel like this is kind of the quintessential hello, everybody wake. Um, <laughs> I, 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 so I, I think what we get from Blofeld in the novel is pretty good, but I, I, I feel like it definitely leaves me sort of wanting more. Yeah, I, I agree. And by the way, um, Josh Gay has a great point. Blofeld is much more of a mob boss crime Lord in the novel compared to kind of the maniacal, almost, um, I'll use your words, Joe, delicious villain, like in the <laughs> films. I mean, he really chews up the scenes, whereas yeah. this is the tropey uh, mob boss. And I feel like almost Fleming wrote him accordingly. But Alex, you may have a different point of view on our good friend Blofeld since you're sitting in a bubblegum version of his chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, what struck me is how Spectre is so much smaller than the film. You know, in all the movies, we get the mm -hmm. idea of Spectre being this kind of Illuminati large organization that pretty much controls the world. And in the books, it's it's just another mob, not mafia. It's and not even the biggest one, probably. And Blofeld, for me, in the book, was actually a smaller character than he was in the films. Telly Savalas, hands down, is my favorite Blofeld, favorite characterization of Blofeld. I think he just nailed the role and, and brought so much um, charisma and depth to it, uh, pretty much because of his acting. Um, and he, you know, he, he brought this character to make it larger than life. Yeah. And in the book, he's just life. He's, he's a gangster, mm. he's, he's a thug, but maybe a sophisticated thug, but just, but not the larger than life character that we get in maybe even Thunderball, he does come off a little more because I remember reading Thunderball. I still got that vibe of, of Spectre being this global, international, yeah. uh, uh, you know, almost all-encompassing uh, um, organization. Where it, it, it just seemed, he just seems smaller in this film. He just seemed a, a, a little more diminutive than he did in the previous books or in the movies, where he was. He's he kind of, he's on the kind of on the run, you know. He's hiding. He's 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 running. Yeah. From, he's hiding from authorities in this book, so he can't make a big show of himself, even though he wants revenge with this plot. Um, it, but it's, this it's, plot is not. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying this plot is not to to gain. Well, we don't know what he wants. He just wants revenge. He just wants to destroy the West and what whatever. Yeah, I mean, uh, he he wants yeah. to watch the the world burn he's the joker yeah, basically exactly. and one of the things that i kind of walked away with and i think you nailed it is in thunderbolt you felt a larger than life uh kind of omniscient character and this one he became and here's me saying this uh too terrestrial he became too yeah. real he's too tan tangent you know you could touch him you could feel him he's fallible and you know you see what happens and well i don't want to spoil Sam's reading pleasure for You Only Live Twice, but he's back uh, and better than ever in that one. But Sam, um, you must have been wrestling with this because you've got Telly Savalas on the brain, yeah. <laughs> who loves your baby. And then you've got uh, this Blofeld. Did you have trouble wrestling with this? You know, he 
is a more more realistic character, and I think somebody picked up upon it there, a, a mob boss style character. But then you do look past it a little bit, and you think, how many mob bosses are getting plastic surgery to remove your earlobes? Oh. So there is, you know, there is that kind of um, storytelling trope, uh, and it's got to be over the top. But all you know, all Bond books, novels, films are do have those elements. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, I went into it thinking I was going to get Telly Savalas. And I ended up getting sort of like, I don't know, I don't know what actor I compare him to, but he was not te- he he was not the larger than life character that I expected. You know, he, he was very kind of he's he's more just like your bog standard terrorist in this kind of mm. uh, book, as opposed to maniacal Dr. Evil, evil style, um, you know, yeah. villain caricature of a, a villain. He, he's more just uh, a terrorist. That's a great point. And I think Matthew's got a great point I want to read out to you, Sam, because it, it feeds off of what you just said. The thing about Blofeld's goal of being achieving the title of Count always seemed a little off to me. I felt it was almost like a loose end. Like, yeah. what is the purpose? Mm-hmm. Is it ego? Is it, you know, something else? Because if you're a terrorist or just a bad guy, is he just, you know, what is what does that afford him? What does that give him other than Bond's cover? Yeah. And I think if you look at the, you know, you compare him to a character like Draco, where, um, you know, both are criminals, but both have very different ways of doing things. Um, And I I, there is that comparison to be made. And that theme of criminality kind of between those two characters is really interesting, I think, to, to actually look look into. Okay, ladies and gentlemen who are watching, I need you to play along at home. I'm going to do something to my panelists that they did not know about. I did not rehearse this. I did not preheat this in any way. And they are going to potentially be pariahs in the Bond community tomorrow morning when people wake up and watch this if they're not attending live. Um, Alex, we're starting with you. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> you're such a such a gentleman, so kind, so peaceful. Um, but I would like your opinion, five minutes or less, on... When we think about Fleming as being unapproachable as far as the books, they're classics, of course they are. They started everything. And you think about the movie. This is where we're going to get into the conversation. If you were to go on a desert island and only have the choice of one, the book or the novel, which one do you choose and why? Oh, the book or the novel of Her Honor Majesty? Oh, sorry, the book or they're the same thing, <laughs> David. Yeah. How was this? Uh, the book or the movie? The book or the movie? Um, Somebody's cat is pissed God, off with wow, this question. A, my cat a, is my cat. I think it's so ironic because <laughs> Blofeld obviously has a cat. Mine isn't a white cat. It's a black cat. But, you know, so. I missed the opportunity. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. My girlfriend wouldn't let me have a white cat. Nightmare. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. I love this book. I do. I think it's one of the better ones. Um, my favorite so far has been... Live and let die, but it's another discussion. Uh, but I would have to go with the film. And I'm going to say the film because it's such a one-off. In and, of, in and of itself, it's kind of a reboot before mm. reboots actually were a thing. And if you had never seen a Bond film, and you can only see one Bond film, believe it or not, I, would, I might choose this one because it's wow. a self-contained story from beginning you don't need to know anything about bond before seeing this movie you know regardless of the fact they're trying to connect it to the first 
by films. You don't need to, and, and after this film, it doesn't matter. It's such its own self-contained world, and it's such its own self-contained, it's almost like it's not an Eon production in, in some yeah. ways. That, it, that it's so, and it's such a masterful film. It's, I was reading it, Steven Soderbergh's favorite Bond film. It's Chris, wow. uh, uh, Chris Nolan's favorite Bond film. Chris yeah. Nolan, I mean, if you watched Inception, he Inception, stole he shots. basically, yeah, replicated it. Yeah, he stole shots right out of this movie and totally yeah. admitted to it and said, yeah, I'm stealing shots out of, this is out of, out, out of for Inception from this film. So it's, it's the director's movie. It's the, dare I say, more the most artistically done. It's the one of the biggest. It's one of the one of the best. It's such a self-contained one-off that I would say, yeah, just see the. If you have to see just one, just see this one. And I, I'm not put off by okay, Lazenby's performance is not as good as my my guy is Sean, Sean Connery, and then mm -hmm. maybe Daniel Craig, a close second. Um, but he's good. Yeah, he's actually pretty good. He does a great job, and he does a great job portraying a book Bond. He portrays the Bond in the book more than any other. Maybe Dalton is the other person that I would say is the closest to the book Bond, because he is a sympathetic person. He's got character. He's got compassion. He's got depth. He displays that at the in the last. You know, okay, let's jump ahead. Spoiler alert: when she dies. He displays more emotion and compassion in that one scene than most of the actors have done in the entire series. Yeah. So, I mean, can can anybody say they've cried during a Bond film other than that one moment? Alex, I dare anybody to say that. Alex, I wish you were more passionate with this answer. You seem to be really <laughs> just on the fence here. But uh, yeah, I, I think know. you should also call Anders, um, George Lazenby's <laughs> manager, and maybe work for him as uh, their cheerleader. Because damn, sir. And by the way, Heather's got a great point. Uh, book, since unlikely the, des the desert island uh, unlikely has electricity. <laughs> so you're not watching anything. Heather That's does why we a need mic Heather drop. At all of these. So <laughs> Sam <laughs> thinks into this, doesn't she? <laughs> she's good like that. So Sam, talk to me. Uh, you know, as somebody that the book is fresh, but you love the movie. Where are you yeah. going with this? I mean, I'm going to go for the film, um, but yeah. simply because the film is up there in my top five best Bond films ever. Um, I like George Lazenby's portrayal in the film. I think yeah. um, Alex raised a, an important point there. Um, right at the end of the film, when you see Lazenby in this emotional scene, um, and it's just incredible because you wouldn't look at James Bond in that aspect uh, and light. And I, I just think that yeah, and I, I think the score in the, the film is incredible, uh, the way it's shot. Diana Rigg, you know, she is one of, if not the, debatable, best Bond girl. Um, so it's just, uh, yeah, I think everything about the film, I think this book had a hard job trying to convince me that it was better than the film. And unfortunately, it didn't do that, but it was a fantastic book. <laughs> Yeah, Although, I, I do want to raise a point. Heatseeker on here earlier in in the, hmm. the, the chat said that um, there can never be another Welsh James Bond. What? Come on. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> you know? how old are you? I'm, I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm 24. So I, I yeah. Oh, I can you're the right it. age. Yeah, I'm perfect. Maybe, 
maybe a little <laughs> young, but you could definitely do the screen test. Yeah, definitely. You could be the next Henry Cavill and like be too young for the role, but yeah. then come back later. Yeah, keep it. Keep an eye on it, Heat Seeker, because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> By the way, jo your cat is going mad. Jocelyn <laughs> says, uh, "Movie for me, Diana Rigg really elevates Tracy so much." So, Joe, uh, listen, coming coming up in the rear. Excuse the pun. Um, talk to me. Movie book is it going to be close? Uh, I'm going to surprise you. I think um, ha had you asked the question differently. I might have had a different answer. Okay. If I'm stranded on an island, and and Sam, to your point, not only is it is this film in my top five, it's in my top two, and I and I quite frankly think this is probably one of the masterpiece films of of the Bond franchise. Frankly, um, however, I'm stuck on an island. I'll take the book. And I kind of feel like it, it's because it's not a question wow. of which one was better and which one served which purpose better. Um, if I if I'm literally stranded someplace and I need something to go back to often, I'm definitely going with the book because the book is that experience that is deeper, more fuller. It's very rich. Um more attention to detail and and there's probably as many times as i've read this book and I've, I've honestly read this book many times i i probably feel like even if i read it again tomorrow if i started at the beginning i'd probably find things in it that i didn't pick up last time yeah so uh wow i'll go with the book what's number one what's your favorite bond film then well funny you should ask uh <laughs> For, is it optimacy? <laughs> you you would think. You would think. Um, for years, Honor Magic Secret Service was always my favorite. I, I, I always put this at the top of my list. And quite frankly, it took me a couple of years, even after I saw the film, to, to kind of just break down and say, okay, I, I got a new number one. Casino Royale has become my new number one favorite. I, We're I, the same person, Joe. My favorite is Casino Royale. And you know what? Thinking about it, on Her Majesty Secret Service, it is a close second. I, right. I I agree. Yeah. yeah, there we are. My favorite is uh, my number one is Quantum of Solace. My second is Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, really? I, I really issues. I no, love Die Another Day. <laughs> kidding, kidding. But but I gentlemen, I have to weigh in here, even though I knew the game. Um, I would choose the book as well, Joe. And the reason I I would is because if I'm on a desert island, presumably alone. Um, the book took me on so many emotions. Um, and Alex, you really hit upon this too. Elation, uh, being found, uh, understanding that you only need enough, um, as well as regret and dread and all the emotions that we love in the variety of life that, you know, we wouldn't want the perfect life because this is what, this is what life is all about. I mean, we've just gone, you know, we're, we're going through a pandemic right now where we're feeling a lot of these things in the book. And the book really helped me to congregate them into an area. The movie doesn't do that. The movie is great. I love it. It's entertainment. I, I remove my brain at the door. And Lazenby, I, I enjoy as well. And I think he's surrounded by greatness too. So that helps in the writing and the visuals. But to me, there was something about the book where when I, again, when I, I closed it, um, and it wasn't just David Tennant closing the app. And when I closed <laughs> the book, 
um, and you get that kind of pulp smell and you know you're finished with a Fleming book, there was something very cathartic with it. So I think I would want to re-explore that again and again, as opposed to watching another DVD showing. So there it is. We're 50-50 on this then. Nothing wrong you with may that. Have changed, yeah, you may have changed my mind, but I'm dyslexic, so I'm going to stick with the film. What about Blu-ray? <laughs> oh, Blu-ray would want. Yeah, the yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but, but, but not to fast forward, because I'm sure David will talk more about the film. I think to Alex's point and to Sam's point, it, it really is a tribute to, to how good they did on the film. I, I feel like th there's a lot to be said about trying to take, you know, works of literature and do them as movies. Uh, some do an okay job. Some really kind of really perfect the, the, the story that they're telling. And I think this is an example of that. So, yeah. Good point. No, no, no. And you would think that I would talk more about the film, but actually I'm not. So um, well, well handed off. But I will say this. I, I do want to end with one aspect and it doesn't need to be spoilers. This is only as spoiled as anybody who uh, hasn't seen the trailers. But there seems to be and I think somebody or two people mentioned this um, in the chat that we seem to be maybe on the cusp, again, less than one month away, of getting something that has on Her Majesty's Secret Service, the novel essence in here, whether it's the love story or you know the maniacal main bad guy or you know Bond kind of waxing poetic with his emotions as well. Do you think that we're going to have some Fleming doesn't need to be this novel. Do you think that this movie, based on what you know and what you saw, it's a very non-book question. Do you think we're going to have some Fleming moments embedded in this film? Alex, we'll go to you first. Yeah, it's funny because Spectre did have elements of Honor Majesty's Secret Service with a, you know, mountaintop retreat, you know, uh, uh, retreat, you know, Solden was sort of like his Gloria. Um, yeah, and yeah, there does seem to seem some elements of that. I have, I mean, I, I can't speculate. I don't, I have no idea. They're always going to put a Fleming aspects in it. That's that's for sure. They're always going to go back to the books and say, what can we bring here? What can we bring there? Maybe it's going to be the Garden of Death, which we saw little snippets of, I don't know, maybe, that comes in the book of uh, You Only Live Twice. So it's that's really hard to say. I can't really speculate. You know, she we do know that she's deeper in Spectre than we thought. That's Madeline meaning. And this is the great love of James Bond in this film. So we have those aspects of it. But are they going to do that? I, I, just, I have a hard time speculating. Yeah. You know, Agreed. try not to. I want to be surprised. No, that's good. Be fresh. Be fresh. Sam, what about you? I, yeah, I mean, like Alex said, I think they're always going to go back to Fleming and I think they'd be wrong not to, I think, because um, it's integrity, it just is integral. And um, I think Alex raised, I think, a really important point actually earlier on um, where we were picking up uh, the fact that they have taken bits from On Her Majesty's Secret Service and how close that story actually is. Um, I love the fact that we are getting more of Madeline Swan because 
Um, you know, you didn't get that much of her inspector, inspector, but I think that there's there's so much more to explore, and um, it's exciting. Like from all the promotional material, this is a Bond film that I am really excited about, and I hope, um, considering the amount of time that it's been put back, um, the 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 actual the the how well beloved uh, Daniel Craig actually is, I think he deserves a, a fantastic final film, and uh, I I, th- I think he'll get it. I agree. Yeah. Joe. Uh, yeah. In terms of just Fleming, the Fleming vibe, um, I kind of already said it in my review, so I don't want to repeat myself too much, but honestly, there was a shot in the new trailer that I thought just felt so Flemingish and, and, and I was really impressed with it. Um, and, and it's very interesting because I, I, I sort of feel like in some ways, we when when you do bond as long as we have i mean we're going on 60 years of james bond you know we can talk about how similar honor Majesty's secret services to the film which only came out less than a decade later which is by today's standards feels like yesterday like there was like just kind of in the same time frame um then you talk about another film like casino royale which was done in the 50s and we saw it in the early 2000s and yet still somehow kept the same story, kept the same feel. A lot of the same elements are there. I feel like in in No Time to Die, we are sort of retelling Fleming stories almost in a completely different new way, but still hmm. talking about the concepts of Fleming. You know, we're not we're not going to literally do Fleming books. But we're going to kind of take those concepts and 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 retell them in a, in a completely different way, and I actually feel like there's a very distinct possibility we're going to see a lot of that because and somebody said in the chat just a little while ago I think we're going to see possibly one of the best Bond films we've ever seen. Frankly, um, I don't know if I would go quite that far, but I I definitely feel like we are going to see a film that is in the top possibly the top five and wow i mean that'd be great i I feel like everything i'm seeing about this film there's nothing and and somebody also said as long as they can hold the the hold the landing as long as the ending is good i think we're gonna be okay that i i'm feeling very similar i feel like the ride of this film is gonna really be spectacular and as long as the story ends on the right note we're going to walk out very satisfied. I Wow, that's really powerful. And I agree. And I think we are, I mean, you know, there's so much anticipation. I'm, I'm trying to temper everything. So, you know, it's that whole thing going in with somewhat lower expectations. But how can we not? We're like, you know, in a desert and a cracker is delicious. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. Just uh, not the crackers all, that are on M's table for Christmas. <laughs> not those crackers. Not the those saltines. Crackers. Yum, yum, yum. Uh, so first of all, I, I do want to thank uh, Alex, Sam, and Joe for coming on here. The conversation, this is what it's all about. These book clubs are great, but until you get a, a group of like-minded individuals, and by like-minded, we didn't agree on everything. This is about us sharing a passion of Bond. And and you in the audience, except for a few people who are arguing back and forth, that's okay too, because Again, we're a community. People are going to argue, and that's fine. Um, I want to thank you all for coming on, bringing your intelligence, doing the pre-work, 
And I have some very good news to share. It's not that Calvin agreed with me again. It's once in a blue moon. Um, it's that the next book club will be You Only Live Twice. Now, I will tell you that means that the Bond Book Club will return, but it won't return right away. We're taking a small hiatus because I don't know if you've heard this conversation. There's a, a small independent film coming at the end of this month. <laughs> and for three weeks, we're going to be quite inundated with film talks. So, um, we'll continue probably towards the end of October. Doesn't mean you should stop reading. Doesn't mean you shouldn't pick up the book. It's an amazing book. And I'm going to throw out a little teaser. There may be something in You Only Live Twice that we may see show up potentially in the new movie. Potentially, mm -hmm. it's rumor. But let's go see about that. But thank you, everyone. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining. Hey, can I jump I in real you. quick before you finish no, out? No, no, that's it. That was I, the I don't mean to ruin your great <laughs> ending. I don't know if you realize this, but this week happens to be the the one-year anniversary of the christening of the Bond Book Club. I was I, actually... I didn't know that. It, it, uh, and the reason why I know that, we obviously we did Casino Royale. Yeah, and I remember in the the in August of 2020 being up in Cape Cod because Mary and I always do the, the the last week in August up in Cape Cod, and I was reading Casino Royale for the first mm. Bond book club. Wow! So so this Bond book club is now celebrating yeah, one cheers. year. So cheers. I'm kind of kind of thrilled, insane. frankly, to be part of this one. I knew that. <laughs> No, but um, obviously believe, right? Mary or your mom uh, really just wants to back you up on this. If this was a contest, hey. Joe won. The, the check's in the mail. Who do we do we do we actually know who that is? No. <laughs> oh, right. It's no, not my mom. It's not my mom, is it? I mean, we're going <laughs> to find admire. out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. Anyway, um, everybody. Daniel thank Craig. He does show up every now and then for this. Yeah, no. sure so everybody, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's thank a holiday. You. It's late for some people. Uh, Alex, Sam, Joe, and everybody have a safe, safe weekend. And we'll talk to you all real soon. Take care. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. Bye -bye. Thank you.